Glad to be together with you all. Uh, we appreciate your in- interest in spiritual things and hope as we study together that uh, some of what we say from the scriptures are, are helpful to you. Uh, that was a powerful blessing that God gave to his people through Moses, a powerful message. And um, the people received that message with gladness. But what would you think of someone who uh, stopped listening to God? Somebody who heard a message like that and said like, uh, I just don't believe it. It sounds hollow and empty. Uh, I'm just not going to listen to that anymore. Um, you might think that they were callous, hard-hearted, uh, rebellious against God, somebody who wouldn't receive such a, a great message of God's deliverance. You might think they are uh, perhaps even beyond hope of being reached by the gospel if they could, if they could ignore such a powerful blessing from God. Uh, But I think the Bible tells us that there are uh, some people whose circumstances, uh, at least for a time, will uh, deaden their hope in God, uh, prevent their faith, at least for a time, even in uh, a case where they have such powerful blessings, such powerful promises from God. But even so, they're not beyond God's reach and not beyond hope. And so I want to talk about some of these people and see if we can better understand uh, their situation and how perhaps we can help them. So we just read from Exodus three fifteen through 20, uh, where God came to Moses with some very good news for these descendants of Abraham who are slaving away in Egypt under a cruel master. Uh, in short, God says... I see what's going on with you. I see your affliction. I see your misery. And I'm going to rescue you. Uh, And God was going to be faithful to the promise he had made way back 400 years earlier to Abraham uh, that uh, people would be uh, brought out from his seed, uh, that there would be this nation from Abraham. And uh, in Exodus 4, 29-31 that we read, Moses delivered the message. And we see the people believed and bowed their heads and worshipped. And so we think that's, that's exactly the response they should have had to such a great promise. But in Exodus 5, starting in verse 4, we see that things were not uh, immediately better for them. In fact, things got much worse. Moses tells Pharaoh this message. God says to let the, his people go. And Pharaoh responds, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Pharaoh's uh, not eager to let the people go or listen to God. Uh, And in verse 14, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and also uh, asked and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So God sends this amazing promise. I see your affliction and I'm going to deliver you from it. Uh, And when Pharaoh receives that message, things get worse way worse. The Israelites think it's Moses' fault for for messing up. Um, But Moses knows he simply did what God told him to. If you look down at verse 22 of Exodus 5, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? 
For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. This is a moment of real honesty from Moses. Uh, he can't understand what has gone wrong. Not only is God not delivering the Israelites from bondage, but their bondage now is worse than ever. Uh, and in Exodus 6, starting in verse 5, we read that God responds to Moses, I think, uh, very graciously. And uh, it's interesting what God tells Moses. Exodus 6, verse 5. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So God repeats this message of good news to the people and, and really expands on it. It's, it's a greater message than what he first sent. I am Jehovah God and I'm going to fulfill my covenant promises to Abraham. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. I will free you from your bondage and give you a land of your own. And, and when you think about the people whose uh, slavery in Egypt had become so much more severe, how welcome this message must have been uh, to hear this promise from God again. Except that when you read in Exodus 6 verse 9, So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Isn't that surprising? Uh, the first time Moses brought the good news of God's deliverance, they responded by believing and bowing their heads and worshiping. And when things get worse, you might think they would be all the more grateful, uh, all the more uh, thankful to God for this message of his deliverance. But that's not what happens at all. Uh, Moses reassures them powerfully of what God's going to do for them, and they don't listen. What was it that changed? between chapter 4, verse 31, when they believed and bowed their head and worshipped, and Exodus 6, verse 9, and they just didn't listen. Uh, things had been hard to begin with. They were slaves under cruel taskmasters, uh, working their lives away in the brickyards uh, for the wealth and prosperity of Egypt. Um, even though they knew they were supposed to be God's people, they knew they had some promise that someday He would deliver them. Uh, but they heard this good news that God is going to save them uh, with a powerful hand. And for at least a brief time, it looks like they had real hope. Um, God is, is going to save us. He, he can do it, and He's going to. Uh, but things don't go like they thought. And when things got worse instead of better, uh, it looks like they just plunged into despair. Their spirits, it says, are crushed. Um, and so God reassures them that He'll help them, He'll deliver them, and they just don't even listen. Uh, they give up. God's message of hope and salvation just seems empty to them. Uh, sounds like a situation headed for disaster, doesn't it? Their one hope of rescue, the one hope of deliverance, was God, and now they aren't even listening to Him anymore. His promises, His Word is just empty to them. 
And it's easy to look at this reaction from uh, from our nice, comfortable seats and uh, think how unreasonable and how unproductive that was. Uh, why would they turn uh, the, a deaf ear toward God's message? But but with an Egyptian whip you know, lashing your back in the brickyards, um, having faith in God uh, suddenly looked unreasonable and unproductive. After all, he'd promised he would deliver them, and he hadn't. Uh, he had in their minds, shown himself unfaithful. God had said he would deliver them, but things only got worse. Why listen any longer? Uh, how is it that we can be so deceived to ignore the one source of hope that exists? Uh, and yet the experience of the Israelites is all too familiar to us uh, at times in our own lives and in the lives of people that we know. Sin is common to the human experience. At some point, we all... Uh, take the bait and make the choice to sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But sin isn't just something that you do and walk away from. You just stop doing whatever you feel like it. Uh, sin enslaves us, uh, the Bible says. In John 8, we find Jesus' famous quote, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's familiar, right? But what is it that we're freed from? In John eight thirty four, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Uh, sin enslaves us, puts us under bondage. In Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, we read about the purpose of Jesus' death. Uh, and the purpose of Jesus' death, it says here in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, was to release us from bondage. So then as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So sin holds us captive, but it's really here it says the devil who's holding us captive. He is a cruel master and the bondage that he puts people in can be severe uh, and like pharaoh he doesn't relinquish his slaves easily uh, you know when the israelites started thinking they might be freed pharaoh wanted to make things harder so the israelites would give up on that idea they realized they're not going to be free they're not going to rebel against pharaoh and satan does the same he knows that it works to his advantage to make the path out of sin as difficult and dark as possible. So that it seems like the best thing to do is just to stay in sin rather than to gain freedom. Satan encourages people to develop character habits that can be uh, incredibly hard to change. He invites people to form addictions to substances or, or experiences that uh, have incredible power over people's minds and bodies. Uh, they can be extremely painful and difficult to break. Satan encourages the formation of relationships with other people that he knows uh, will continue drawing people uh, to sin, holding them away from God, uh, keeping them enslaved. Satan wants people to be fully entangled, fully enslaved, with such a wall of difficulty around them uh, that it seems impossible to get out. That's his goal. Uh, but you know, there are times in the middle of that enslavement that people will hear a message of, of hope. God will give you freedom. Jesus can, can save you and overcome sin. And they'll see the good in that message 
and uh, are thankful for the hope that it gives. But then turning to God means that some things get harder uh, for a time. Some situations get worse. They'll have to let go of some friendships. They'll have to break some bad habits. They'll have to perhaps reorder their lives, uh, do things that are unnatural and uncomfortable and, and challenging. And all the while, their oppressor is doing his best to make life harder, make them lose their hope. Make more bricks and find the straw yourselves. Uh, some of the challenges in their lives will seem extremely difficult to them. It's the kind of thing that can crush a person's spirit and cause them to lose their responsiveness to God. Uh, eventually they say, God promised to free me from this, but He just hasn't. I guess I can't believe that promise. Uh, do you know anyone like that? I mean, is there anyone that you have talked to who's that way? Uh, they just won't listen to God's Word because things haven't worked out in their life like they thought. They thought they knew God and how He was going to help them make their life better. Uh, but then things didn't go like they expected. There might have been some point where they were hopeful and felt like God cared about them. But, uh, but now they mostly seem to feel like God doesn't care at all uh, if He even exists. In Matthew 13 and verse 20, in the parable of the sower, I think Jesus describes the situation of people like this. Matthew 13, verse 20. It's a familiar parable to us. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Jesus just leaves that category of people for the time being. Um, but I think the rest of the Scriptures speak to that category of people. Uh, God's assessment of the Israelites uh, in Egypt show us that it is not always willful rebellion that gets in the way of people hearing good news. It's not always their stubbornness, uh, their refusal of God. Sometimes it's a crushed spirit from cruel bondage. Sometimes it's this trouble and persecution because of God's Word. And it's a terrible irony, really, that the hardship of bondage uh, can cause people to stop listening to the very message that can free them from bondage. So what do we do when we find ourselves or someone we know in this place where they're kind of numb to the promises of God? God is sending hope uh, sending light, but they just don't have it in them to listen anymore. Sometimes uh, we're tempted to just say, well, I guess they're a stony soil. You know, they, they just don't have any depth um, and there's not much I can do. Uh, but I think that's the wrong response. We learn from the way that God interacts with Israel in Egypt that people like this uh, who seem so hopeless, they're not even listening to God anymore, they're not out of God's reach. Uh, even when they've stopped listening to God, He can and does work in their lives uh, to reach them. And His work with the Israelites, I think, shows us there's hope even in these uh, stony places. God's good news of deliverance can still prevail. And so, three things uh, that God does for these Israelites that I want us to look at and see if we can learn from uh, how He would have us think and respond uh, when we encounter these situations in, in the lives of people around us or even in our own. Uh, first, he continues telling his promises. 
Second, he continues showing his power. And third, he reassures them of his love. Those are the three points that we want to talk about. So first, he continues sending them his promises. So remember the chain of events. God sent a good news of deliverance. He's going to save and rescue them. And they're grateful for that. It's, uh, they're, they're, they worship God. And then things get worse. And they're now at a point where they're not going to listen to what God says. But what does he do? He, he knows that about them, of course. But he tells Moses, uh, go and tell the people this. And so when he repeats this message of good news, he knows that it's falling on deaf ears. He knows that it's going to people who aren't listening. Um, they, um, God says, yeah, I'm going to show my strength over Pharaoh, over Egypt, and I'm going to replace your bondage with blessing, knowing that they, they wouldn't hear it. Uh, we don't know the context of the next message that God sends, but in Exodus 6.13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Again, he's speaking to people who aren't listening, but he, tell, he, he gives Moses a command for them. So God uh, reiterates his promise to them, even though he knows they're not listening. He's giving them a command to come out of the land of Egypt, even though he knows they're not listening. Um, and you might say, God, the children of Israel don't believe your promise of deliverance anymore. How can they possibly listen to a command from you? How can Moses and Aaron possibly lead them out of Egypt? They won't even listen. Uh, they won't believe. What a waste of time uh, and effort it would be to send a message to people who aren't listening. Um, sometimes when we know of someone who's struggling against sin and circumstances in their lives, someone who is not listening to God anymore, uh, we'll give up and stop talking to them about God. After all, they've already proven they won't hear it. We already know that about them. But this example shows us that even for people who will not receive it right then, God's Word has power. Uh, even people who aren't ready to listen or obey right then, uh, the truth of God's promise still has an effect. It can still lay a foundation. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, God gives us these, it says, exceedingly great and precious promises. God promises freedom from sin, freedom from bondage and blessing. God will bring us out of uh, our slavery. In 2 Peter 1, verse 4, "...by which have, given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, in other words, through these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." God's promises are exceedingly great and precious. But some who hear them won't won't recognize them as such. Um, and being a messenger to people who won't recognize how precious these promises are can be frustrating and tiring. But it's a pattern we see over and over. God sending His message and His messengers to people who He knows will not listen. But God sends His Word anyway. God uh, wants them to know that he has promised and he will be faithful to those promises. Uh, in Hebrews 4.12, we know that God's word is powerful, that it always accomplishes something. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Whenever there are thoughts in the heart that uh, have lost hope in God, the Word of God can work at that level. Uh, it can work at the level of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so even someone who seems to be not listening, uh, the Word of God can have an effect on them. And when we see that in our own lives and in the lives of others and we believe that, it's, it's going to help us to take God's Word and speak it, even to people who seem to have stopped listening. Uh, they need to hear His promises. It sounds counterintuitive, right? People who stop listening need to hear, but they do. Um, and that's the first point. God keeps sending His promises through His Word. The next point is He keeps showing His power over their oppressors. When Pharaoh makes life harder for them, uh, God demonstrates over and over that he has power over Pharaoh. Uh, This is the beginning of the plagues. Pharaoh will not be able to enforce the quota of bricks much longer. God makes that clear. Uh, God sends Moses to Pharaoh with a message to let his people go, and Pharaoh says uh, in Exodus 5-2, Who is Jehovah that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Jehovah, nor will I let Israel go. Uh, Pharaoh sees himself as superior to God. No need to listen to him. Uh, But then God sends plague after plague on Egypt that Pharaoh is is powerless to stop, powerless to do anything about. You know, when there are frogs in Egypt, it says there are frogs in Pharaoh's bed. Uh, When there there are locusts, they're there in Pharaoh's house. When there are flies, uh, they're in Pharaoh's house. Uh, There's nothing that he can do about it. He's powerless to stop these plagues that God is is sending. And in the tenth plague, when God passes through Egypt over every house, destroying every firstborn, every house is affected, the Bible says, including Pharaoh's house. Uh, There's a death in Pharaoh's house, the death of the firstborn there. uh, As God shows, he's, he's vastly more powerful than Pharaoh. God shows over and over that Pharaoh ultimately... Uh, is in subjection to God, whether he wants to be or not. Uh, God is more powerful. By letting things get worse uh, for the Israelites, letting Pharaoh have his way uh, for a time, um, and then delivering the Israelites, I think God shows uh, that there would be no doubt about whose power it was. It wasn't just like, oh, Pharaoh you know, came around and decided to be a nice guy. Uh, this is God clearly showing his his ultimate power, uh, that he could have power over any enemy, regardless of how stubborn uh, they would be against God. And uh, later in Exodus 14, 13, uh, when the Israelites are leaving, you know, Pharaoh's chasing after them with his army, and they come to the sea, and they're trapped there. Uh, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. People who are in bondage to sin need to see over and over that God has power over their captor. No matter how powerful their bondage, how cruel their oppression, God is greater and God can exercise His power over it to free them. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Uh, sorry, Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21. So, this is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Um, he comes to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And listen to what he sees as his purpose, what he proclaims as his, his mission statement, his mission on earth. 
So he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus says this this is what he's here for, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then Jesus shows his power over things during his ministry, his power over things like physical sickness, blindness, hunger, death, uh, storms, water, gravity, uh, partly in many of those cases to be a blessing to suffering people, people who were sick or hungry, uh, but more importantly to demonstrate his power. Uh, if he has power over all these things, uh, then he also has power that's beyond anything any human has, power over uh, spiritual sickness and blindness and captivity and death. And we need to continue reminding people uh, who are enslaved to sin that Jesus is powerful. If he hasn't delivered them from their sin yet, it's not because he can't. Uh, in fact, he alone can free them. Uh, just like the Israelites weren't freed from Egypt on their own strength, neither will we be freed from captivity on our own strength. We need Jesus. And he's proven himself strong enough to save. He doesn't always do so on our time scale. Uh, we notice in Jesus' ministry, he often waited to act until it seemed like things had gotten worse. Uh, in John 11, Lazarus had died. And Jesus is approaching uh, the house and he encounters first Martha and then Mary. And they both say the same thing. In John 11, verse 21, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then in verse 32, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same exact thought, the same exact phrase from both these women. If if Jesus had just been there, why why did he take so long? Why didn't he come when when Lazarus was alive and he could have healed him? Uh, Jesus, we needed you and you weren't here. You let things get worse. But Jesus waited to come, uh, knowing that his power would be most clearly shown by letting things get worse at least for a time. And so then he doesn't just raise Lazarus from sickness, he raises him from the dead. How much greater is Jesus' power in that? On the way to Jairus' house, uh, you remember there's the crowd coming and the woman with the flow of blood and they get kind of held up. And then Jairus gets a message that don't trouble the master any longer, your, your daughter's dead. And so uh, Jesus, again, allows things to get worse. And... Um, but Jesus, in, in Luke eight fifty, Jesus heard it. He answered, saying, Do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Again, Jesus waiting for the time when His glory will be most clearly shown. He'll act when He knows uh, it will be most evident that He has power. And so Jesus may be waiting for things to get worse in the lives of people who are captive to sin just for the purpose of showing how great His power is to deliver. And when He does... 
there'll be no doubt about whether it was just you know somebody's uh, good resolve and you know willingness to reform themselves and change their lives. Uh, it will be clear that only Jesus could have provided freedom. And so while the captives are waiting for their full deliverance, let's keep reminding them of God's power over their captors, uh, God's power over their oppression. God continued showing His power to these people who had a crushed spirit, and eventually uh, they would believe and walk out of Egypt uh, under God's command. Uh, the third point is that God continues showing His love. So not only does Israel, uh, not only does God tell Israel that He loves them, He wants them to be His, and He wants to be theirs, He wants to be their God, but He continues showing it. In Exodus 8, Uh, Verse 22, back to the plagues. He says, In that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there, in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. That word difference or distinction, God uh, carves out the land of Goshen where the Israelites are, and he makes, uh, it's translated here, a a difference, a distinction. Uh, That is the same word as redemption or deliverance. So there's this there's this plague, and God makes a deliverance of Goshen. Uh, he makes a redemption. God, Pharaoh's people are going to be afflicted. God's people will be delivered. And when there are flies in Egypt, there won't be any in Goshen. And the same thing uh, with the rest of the plagues, plagues four through nine. God makes this difference, uh, this distinction, this this deliverance of Israel from these plagues. And in the tenth plague the death of the firstborn, Jehovah is going to pass through this time all the land of Egypt and of Goshen over all the houses of both the Egyptians and the Israelites. And every firstborn in every house will die, except that Israel received a special message. In their houses, things could be different. A substitute could be made. Instead of the firstborn dying, a lamb could die. A lamb could be sacrificed in the place. And the lamb's blood would be applied to the doorpost and the lintel, and the firstborn in that house would be given life instead of death. Now, God could have simply made a dividing line like before, right? And just not passed over Goshen. That would have been simple enough. But instead, he chooses this. Uh, The blood of the sacrifice now is what makes the division, the distinction, the redemption that will protect the firstborn in Israel and give them life. God shows His love and His and His care and protection of the Israelites. Well, before they're delivered, they are loved. And God leaves them abundant evidence of His love. And those who are captive to sin today have a far greater evidence of God's love. In 1 Peter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming uh, back in John 1.29, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First uh, Peter 5, verse 7 identifies Jesus not just as the Lamb, but the Passover specifically. Indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. In Goshen, the people took a lamb and sacrificed it to spare their firstborn. 
On Calvary, God was the one who provided the sacrifice. But it wasn't just a lamb. It was a firstborn son, his only son. Uh, And in that, God left no doubt about his love for people. So when someone is uh, in bondage to sin, crushed in spirit, God wants them to see his love. And we need to continue pointing people to God's love, pointing them to the cross where God proved his love so powerfully. You may have been thinking of some people that you know or know now uh, uh, who were held in bondage to sin, whose spirits are crushed, people to whom God's promises of deliverance have just stopped having power. Uh, they stopped listening. But the story of Israel shows us that God will not give up on those people. He desires all men everywhere to repent. And God wants to send His promises into the world, uh, the evidence of His power over sin and the proof of His love. And so God's people need to be prepared to be that in a voice, sending those messages uh, to people in, in the world. There may be some ways in which this lesson applies close to home. Uh, perhaps even for those who are Christians. Are there any areas of your life in which you are in bondage to sin? Maybe you obey God in a lot of ways, uh, but there is some uh, area of your life, some sin that is still oppressing you and holding you under its power. Uh, Maybe you've given up on being free from it. Maybe you've resigned to being a captive and stopped listening to God about that particular problem. Jesus said, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And God won't have us be part-time slaves. He wants to give us freedom, true freedom, complete freedom. And the difficulty of breaking sin's grip on us is really part of the plan. The fact that things may get worse before they get better, that we have, have to pass through some difficulty before we're delivered, is part of God's working in our lives. God frequently brings people to a point where things get worse before they get better uh, so that we can see there's no doubt that God provides the deliverance. So if you're slaving in the brickyards, look up and see that God will be true to His promise to give you freedom. Turn over to Psalm 77, verse 1. We'll finish our lesson with a reading uh, from Psalm 77. It's It's a, I think, a powerful reading. It's a little long. So I appreciate you bearing with me in that. But whether you've turned to Jesus for deliverance before in your life or whether you need His deliverance for the first time, God has shown His willingness to save you and redeem you from your bondage, uh, to be your God and for you to be His. And uh, so we need to be reminded of God's uh, promises, His power, and His love. In Psalm 77, verse 1, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and He gave ear to me. In the day of of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will He be favorable no more? Has His mercy ceased forever? Has His promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? 
Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my anguish. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters. And your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. A reminder that God was faithful to His promise. God continues doing those three things for us and for anyone under the oppression of sin. He continues giving His promises. He continues showing His power. And He continues showing His love.